You discovered the Chick-fil-A in the back of the room. If some of you are still starving and you need nourishment, Tammy has all kinds of goodies back there for you tonight. So we're going to get started tonight. This is our last evening together, which is always kind of happy and sad at the same time because we're always glad when we bring things to a conclusion. But at the same time, it's been um, such a blessing to be with all of you. So um, we're going to start tonight uh, with a little bit of a review of where we have been since all this began to remind all of us, and especially for those of you who have had to miss a couple weeks, um, don't forget that the audio of each night's teaching is on the website at newcity.us design. If you missed last week, the handouts from last week are on the table in the back of the room if you want to pick some of those up. And I think that'll cover it for the moment. So let's get started on a bit of a review. So I know that the majority, but perhaps not all of you, were with us for the kickoff event on the 27th of April. And that was the night that we did a pretty good dive into two really important concepts. The first one was, what are the ways that we evaluate ourselves by looking in to our own perspective and what we want, and then also by looking around to culture and all the things around us and all the people around us that can shape and form our perceptions of ourselves. But we landed that night on this idea that we needed to walk away from the distractions that those two approaches often create in our lives so that we could see God's unique design in each of us. And the way that we saw that instead was not to look in or look around. It was to look up to our Heavenly Father. So then we started these four weeks together. And in these four weeks, we have talked about our spiritual gifts, and all of you have had time to think about that. Many of you filled out the spiritual gifts assessment, and we covered but I, spiritual gifts in some detail that night. But I would say that the overriding truth that we want to walk away with is that God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, has given each one of us distinct spiritual gifts to serve in unique ways. Then we talked about personality, and we learned some things about ourselves through personality assessments, through some activities that night. And what we came away with that week was that our personality is part of the way God has created each one of us. The integral parts of us, the detail parts, whether it's our physical, the way we're put together physically, our personality, our abilities, whatever, God is inherently involved in all of those things. And once we know and understand our personalities, we have a responsibility for how we express them and how they are used in interacting with others. And then we had a great week last week when Bob talked to us about our hearts and the passion in our lives, the things that drive us, that determinedness, that core, the passion, the zeal. 
And we walked away last week with this overriding truth, that every one of us as believers is to have a heart of passion for the things that God wants us to do, that none of us are exempt from that. We can't just say, well, he's a lot more passionate than I am. The truth is that no matter how that may be expressed through our personality, we are all to have a deep passion for the things of the Lord. And so now tonight, we're going to look at our abilities and our experiences and how those things have shaped us and how they come into this formula or this design that shows how all these things are related personality, abilities, experiences, spiritual gifts, passion, all of it comes together to make each one of us a distinct person and child of God. And we're going to talk tonight about how <clears throat> our abilities often directly correlate to the spiritual gifts that God has given us. And then we're going to go on to look at the impact and the growth that comes from our experiences and how they have prepared us both through pain and through joy to minister to others and to express our spiritual gifts. Now, I want to start with a question. How many of you, as you thought about your abilities and hopefully read the chapter about abilities, how many of you could think back all the way to your childhood to things that happened as a childhood that were the beginning of some of your abilities starting to show. Did some of you have that experience? A few of you. The rest of you need to get into your reserves, okay? <laughs> I want to tell you um, a, a short little story about <clears throat> me as a child. Um, when I was um, in the fourth grade, um, the fourth grade was putting on a, um, a play at the end of the year. All three fourth grade classes were coming together, and all of our moms and dads were going to be there, and it was a big deal. And there were going to be refreshments, which was always a big deal. And so um, the, um, the teacher who was in charge of the play chose me to be the narrator. Imagine that. And um, so the day of the play came. <clears throat> I was so excited that both of my parents were there. I was especially excited because I always liked it when I could do something that pleased my mother. And um, so I got up on stage that day and I narrated the play. And um, it went well. I, I didn't make mistakes. I said it all and the play went along just fine. And I thought things were going swimmingly except for the fact that that morning at school, we had had gym class. Now we call it PE, but back in my day, it was gym class. And it was a very warm day in the spring. And so I had worn my Easter dress to school that day. And my mother made all my clothes, and she had made that particular dress out of voile. And for those of you in the room who know what voile is, and for probably a lot of you who do not, Voile is a very see-through fabric. And I was hot after gym class. So even though my mother had told me over and over again, you have to wear your slip under this dress, I decided at the end of gym class, because I was so hot, that the slip was optional. 
and I left it in my locker. And so when the play was over and I was feeling really good about being the narrator, um, I walked down off the stage and ran to my mother and I was expecting her to say, Christine, this was wonderful. You did such a great job. And instead she leaned over to me in a, and this is, my mother was not real prone to sternness. She was a very soft, gentle person. She leaned over in my ear and she said, where is your slip? <laughs> because I had been standing in front of, I don't know, probably two or 300 parents, and everybody could see straight through my dress. And, you know, I was in the fourth grade, right? But still, there wasn't very much under my dress. And so um, I said, well, you know, I explained to her what I had done, and, and she said, I want you to go get it right now, and I want you to put it on. I said, but mom, there's refreshments. There's cookies and punch. And she said, right now, I don't care about the cookies and punch. You go take care of this. Well, so in all of my passion for being the narrator of the play, but also having gotten really hot in gym class, I totally ruined my first public speaking opportunity. <laughs> However, I tell you that story to say this. Even as early as the fourth grade, I can look back on that now, and I can say God was beginning to develop a skill and a comfort in me, and why I was comfortable being in front of people, I don't really, no one else in my family was like that. Um, but it started even that far back. And it's very memorable because of what I did that day that was not very tasteful. So I want you to think a little bit as I've told that story, and since many of you didn't raise your hand to say that something in your childhood stood out to you, I want you to take just a minute right now to think back as you think about what some of your strongest abilities are. Think back to early times in your life. Maybe it wasn't as early as elementary school, but maybe it was middle school or high school. Or maybe there were things in college that began to show up in you that you can look back at and say, this was where these abilities began to develop in my life. Because the truth of the matter is this. When God created us and put the abilities into us, he didn't add them to us when we were 21. He started them all the way back from the beginning of our lives. God has given each of you in this room, I want you to hear this clearly, he has given each of you incredible strengths. The word ability means that you possess various resources, material, mental and spiritual and that those are embedded with you as abilities that you have to impact people around you and to go um, as your strengths as you walk through life always the abilities that we have been given are given by God James 1:17 tells us that every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of heavenly lights now, for some of us, our abilities may fall into the category of resources and possessions. 
because God, in fact, does give many of us the gift of giving. And so that may be one of the things that he has done for you. He may have blessed you materially in order to enable you to bless others through the way that you can give. Some of us have physical abilities. Some of us are um, talented in certain sports and activities. And athletes at any level of expertise have a tremendous opportunity to meet with others in that environment and influence them. Some of us have intellectual gifts that make us great teachers, advisors, mentors. Some of us are very sensitive to others. We have the ability to feel another person's pain or their need and then see how to meet it. Abilities come in every shape and form. That's a very small few examples of it. But every ability that we have matters to God. They are all equally important. None is more important than the other. And every one of those abilities is used by him. On your table tonight, there's a <clears throat> handout that if you haven't picked it up already, at the top of it, it says design session for abilities and experiences, and it's your notes page for tonight if you want to look at that. In 1 Peter 4.10, we've looked at this passage a couple of times already. In 1 Peter 4, 1 through 10, Peter is talking about um, the gifts that God has given to us. And he says something at the conclusion of his statements about gifts. And I would say to you that these statements can be equally as applied to our abilities. Because here's what he says. He says, whatever you have received from the Spirit, however God has put you together, he has done that so that you will use those things to serve others. It's a blanket statement. And then he goes on and he says, everyone who has received gifts and abilities should do it with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Is it 1 Peter or 2 Peter? First. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. <clears throat> so, think of it this way. Because God is concerned, every gift, every ability matters to him. And so, it is not that he gave them to you or to me for us to simply think, well, it's nice that I, that I can do this. It's nice that I'm pretty good at fill in the blank. He would say to you, if you are good at this, then you need to be thinking about how to use that for my glory and how to minister to others around you. And almost always... There is a relationship between these abilities that God has given us and our spiritual gifts. If you go through and you are careful about thinking what your abilities are, and then you consider what you learned was your spiritual gift, more than likely the two are in step together. Every ability you have is a gift from God. This statement is on your notes page. Every ability you have is a gift from God. 
What you do with that talent or ability is your gift to him. So it is a sacrifice of praise. It is an offering back to your Lord. Now, if you have your book with you, on pages 62 and 63, there is a very short assessment of lots of abilities. And hopefully, as... Ah, okay. Well, all right. All right, so it's either on page 62 and 63 or page 74 and 75. Okay. Okay, that's okay. So, um, how many of you answered that as you read the chapter? Okay, good. So, ask yourself now, as you look down through that list, what abilities do I have that lead to things that I love to do? And if you didn't take the time to um, read that chapter or look down through that list, take just a moment right now. If you've got a pen in your hand, circle a few of the things that stand out to you. I'll pause for just a moment so you can do that. As you check off those abilities on that page, what your abilities probably can lead you to conclude is that they reveal things that you either love to do because they fit within things that you're good at, or they are abilities that allow you to perform certain tasks that you feel confident about doing because you have natural God-given ability in that area. Now, I do want to give you one warning about abilities before I head toward the end of this tonight. I want you to think back for a moment and remember that discussion that we had on the 27th of April when we talked for quite a few minutes about the looking in and the looking around and the distractions that come up in our lives and how those distractions, many of which are put in front of us by our culture, many of which are given to us by people who know us and feed us certain information, and then some of them simply come from within us. But oftentimes, an ability that we really, that leads us to something we really enjoy can be a distraction. It can be a distraction with a capital D. Let me give you a couple examples. You may be a good golfer, a good tennis player, are you on the court or the course at times when you're neglecting other things? 
You may be creative or handy and you love projects. Do you get lost in a project to the exclusion of other more meaningful things and people in your life? You may have the ability to easily form relationships and interact with people and you love to keep in touch with people. Are you on social media too much? Interacting with others to the detriment of relationships that God has given right in front of you? You may have a lot of resources, a lot of material possessions. Have you become a really good shopper and stored, stored up a lot of wealth in investments for your own security? These are hard questions. But the truth is, abilities can be distractions. Remember what we just read from 1 Peter 4. We use our abilities to serve others with the strength that God provides for his praise. And sometimes we think, Lord, I don't really know how to use this ability. Or I don't know exactly how to cultivate this in a way that's going to allow me to use it to minister to other people. The Lord says to you and me that he will give us the strength and the equipping that we need. All we have to do is ask him. Ken Boa, who is the head of Reflections Ministries and the author of many books, has written this. God has entrusted us with certain resources, gifts, and abilities. Our responsibility is to live by that trust by managing these things well according to his design and desire. What Boa is suggesting is that we as Christians must use our gifts and our abilities according to God's design and desire. Unfortunately, a lot of us over our lives, we go to work with the idea that our abilities exist simply to provide us a good job and a good employment and a good salary. God gave all of us, though, these talents and these abilities to benefit others, not ourselves. Today's popular culture teaches us that the ends justify the means. That message we talked about earlier about, I can do whatever I need to do in order to get what I want. And that is certainly not a new concept. Remember at the end of the book of Judges, when it was written that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Unfortunately, Americans are really good at doing what is right in their own eyes. But scripture teaches the antithesis of this. I want to close by just talking for a few minutes about the parable of the talents that is in Matthew 25. And the majority of you are probably familiar with this story. Jesus is teaching, and he tells the story of a master who's going away. And he calls three servants to him and says, I'm going to give to each of you so that you can take care of these things while I'm away. And so to the first servant, he gives five talents. To the second, he gives two. And to the third, he gives one talent. We don't know if they're all receiving, this, if each talent represents exactly the same thing. This appears to be a conversation about money at this point. So it's likely that they're all receiving money to take care of for him, wealth. When the master returns, after these three servants have all had the very same opportunity to invest, to use these talents, the first two servants come to him 
and their results are great. They have invested wisely, and they have much to give back to their master. For the third, he's not in very good shape. He's been afraid. And so he let his fears and his apprehensions get in the way of doing anything with the talent he was given. All he did was hide it for safekeeping. And his master is not pleased. Now, in this story, Jesus is talking about wealth, money, investing. But I think the real point of this parable for all of us has to do with way more than the way you and I look at our money. He is saying, what I have given to you as your master should be used as an investment in my kingdom, in the people around you who you can serve by meeting their needs, by telling them the truth about me, by discipling them to be stronger believers. So the question for each of us is, and this is not just a question for tonight, this is a question for life, for ongoing days, weeks, months, years. The question is, what are the abilities and gifts that God continues to grow in me and how do I best use them? Not just today, but at every point in the future. One final thought on our abilities. The New Testament is a spiritual bank of abilities that God has given to each of us. And he's given some of these things to every believer. While our spiritual gifts may vary, our passions fall in different areas, our personalities take different shapes, there are abilities promised to us in scripture that each of us possess. Listen to some of these. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, so let your light shine before men. Love your neighbor. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Perform your acts of service with humility, not to be seen by men, but only your heavenly Father. Last Sunday, Nick preached and taught us about one of the greatest abilities that God has given to every one of us, and that is the ability to pray and to access his throne. He's also given us the ability to forgive others, to store up our treasures in heaven, not just on earth, to ask, to seek, to knock. Remember last Sunday, Nick said, keep on asking. That's what God tells us to do. And finally, he has given to every one of us the abilities that come through the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Every one of those things is available to you and me. And you may be thinking, well, you know, I'm really not very good at forgiving people. And I really don't like the idea of loving my enemies. But the truth is that the strength and the power to do those things is not of our own volition. It is in us because of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, just in closing, when we came to know Jesus, he gave us great and precious promises. And he enables you and he enables me to share in his divine nature, to escape 
corruption and distractions because he is the one who equips us to use everything he's given us. And he tells us in 1 Peter again that he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. There, is a, there are a couple of half sheets on your table with two questions on them. So we're going to give you a few minutes to discuss those questions at your table. The first one of those questions is to describe something that you have had to do that you found exhausting because it was something you're not good at. And then in contrast, to describe one or two things that you love doing and how those are a reflection of your abilities to display God's love. So take a few minutes. <clears throat>
Okay, could I ask you to wrap that up, please? So I'm going to ask you, if you would, please, to pray with me. Thanks. Uh, Father, um, when we start to talk about our experiences in our past, uh, that can be really, um, really difficult journey. Uh, maybe more so for some in here than others, but uh, all of us have experienced... Uh, a measure of pain in our past. And so tonight, as we step back and look a little bit at that, would you uh, please be the Father of mercy and God of all comfort to us? And would you give us a vision of you um, as a God who wastes nothing in our life, who is overall in all and through all for good? And so we just ask you, to uh, superintend our time now in your name, Jesus. Amen. So we've been talking about these five S-H-A-P-E, and S stood for what again? What does H stand for? A, P, E, experiences. So Christine just did a great job of taking us through a look at our abilities, and now I want to take some time to talk about experiences. A group of 50, 95 year olds were asked this question. If you could live your life over, what's one thing you would do differently? If you could live your life over, what's one thing you could do differently? Now I want you to think about how you might answer that question. I don't think there's any 95 year olds in this room, but how would you answer that question? Those seasoned veterans, and uh, I, I have no idea how far they had to go to find 50, 95 year olds, but the number one answer that they gave to that question was, I would live my life more introspectively. I find that fascinating. I find it fascinating that these are men and women that have spent a great deal of time living, and yet they wished they'd have been more reflective. Now, tonight, as we talk about experiences, we have to include this idea of introspection. We're looking in and looking back. But the look in doesn't mean we're, ne we're neglecting the advice that we said before about don't look in, but we're not going to look in and let that be the truth that the world tells us our inward look is. Whatever we feel or think the world would say inside is actually the truth. What we want to do tonight is talk about looking 
in or back with an upward look. Now, on the whole subject of introspection, I want you to think about this for a moment. Where do you lie on the spectrum of too little introspection to too much introspection? Too little introspection like those 95-year-olds who don't ever look back who, or who maybe have heard the idea that you shouldn't look back that to look back, in fact, does nothing but hinder you as you move forward. So you, you've bought into the idea that I don't want to look back. Or are you on this other extreme that your backward look has encaptured you? It's, it's hindered you from actually moving forward. It's bound you up. So with that in mind, I want you to just um, hear an example of what I mean about where a look inward can actually become a powerful perspective. So I grew up in a home with a mother who was abused by, who was, who watched her father physically abuse her mother, my grandmother whose mother would climb into the bed every Thursday night with my mother out of fear for the man that was coming home after spending Thursday evenings at the local bar. My mother, never feeling loved by her dad, didn't trust men. She married a passive man, my dad, who she could control. My dad was an excellent provider. He was a civil engineer, airport, Air Force pilot, and provided for our family very well, but didn't understand at all his value to his children. I have little to no memories of ever doing anything with my father. The, the chief memory I have with my father is that my mom would get mad at me as particularly I started to grow up as a young man and express my masculinity, she would get afraid, yell and scream, run out of the room, into her room, slam the door, and my dad would come into the room and say to me, now son, your mom's having a hard time. You need to go and apologize to her to help her through that time. That's the predominant memory I have with my dad. And what did he teach me? He taught me that he didn't care about what I felt, that I was responsible for what my mom felt, and that I was responsible to fix her feelings. He asked me to be the father in that setting, to be the parent. And so I grew up thinking men are not of interest to me. Men are not interested in me unless I highly perform. Now, how do you think that impacted my ability to have relationships with young men and then men into my adult life? Hindered it significantly. And if I would have never uncovered that understanding, if I'd have left that in the past and just never gone back and been introspective about it, 
I never would have been able to enjoy the friendships that I do here in Charlotte, the best male friends I've ever had in my life. Because I've cast down that lie, placed that in the place of that lie, the gospel truth, and that's freed me then out of the captivity of that past, the lie of that past. Now that's just one example of where a look back with a look up actually offers perspective to move forward. That's what experiences are designed to do. Now, remember again, your spiritual gifts are the what of your unique purpose. Right? Your passion is the where, your heart. Your abilities and personalities are the how. Your experiences are the why. Your experiences are why you ought to be doing what you're doing. Now, to give you a perspective on that, I want us to turn to a passage. And Abby, if you'd give me this out of 2 Corinthians. Because a proper look at the past, a proper relationship with the past, I want you to see a yields perspective. So Paul in this, in this uh, first chapter of 2 Corinthians, gives us incredible insight about how to relate to a look back. Now, there are two major themes in the book of 2 Corinthians. The first one is comfort in our sorrows. The second one is power and weakness. Now, he begins in verse 8. I want to start there with what I want you to recognize as a phenomenally insightful look into Paul's heart. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. In our hearts, indeed, we had felt and received, we received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Now, I want you to notice how he begins. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. The sales training advisor said, don't tell people your problems. 80% don't care, and the other 20 are glad you have them. Paul is not yielding to that advice. He's saying, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we suffered in the province of Asia. But I want you to see what he says about his own understanding He's very honest, first of all. He's honest about his problems. But he also understood the impact of those problems. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. He felt overwhelmed. Now, we don't really know what the nature of these problems were. He doesn't really outline it specifically. There are several times in the book of 2 Corinthians where he 
gives a litany of all the problems that he suffered. And it might have been that whole list or it might have been a specific part of that. We don't really know the, the exact thing he's referring to here. But what we do know is that he felt overwhelmed. Now, the picture that I have in my mind, because I grew up on the Ohio River, is there were barges that would come by full of coal down the river. And I could tell whether they were full or not by what? how high the barge was in the water. And if it was way down, I knew that it was full. Now, if you know anything about the engineering of buoyancy, you know there's a place where if you put too much coal on that barge, what's going to happen? It's going to sink. That's where Paul felt he was. He thought he was sinking. There was so much weight on him. It was beyond his ability to endure. And what did he feel? He understood not only... What was going on? But he says, what did he feel? Despair. He despaired even of life. Now, this is a man that years later said, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. And I don't know which one I'd rather do. But here, at this time in his life, he despaired of life. He thinks he's going to, dead, in fact, and to die. In fact, he says... We felt we'd received the sentence of death. His belief was, I, we, I am going to die. But it was an overwhelming thought, the idea of dying. That's this point. I, we were overwhelmed by that. Now, so he not only understood the problem, he understood what he felt in the problem and what he believed in the problem. But then he also understood God's purposes in that past because he said but this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves but on God see he not only knew that he was feeling despair and he was thinking he was going to die he knew he had been relying on himself to get him out of that situation to take him out of, from under that pressure and it wasn't working and he had to cry out then to God. And God then did what? What does it say? He delivered him. And he will continue to deliver us. And on him, he, he says, he, we have set our hope. Not on himself, but on God. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a dead world. No doubt pain is God's megaphone. is a terrible instrument. And believe me, men and women, I don't know your stories. I don't know what, what, what even I'm tapping into when I begin to talk about this. And so I affirm with C.S. Lewis, it can be a terrible, terrible instrument. It may lead to final and unrepented rebellion, but it gives the only opportunity that a bad man can have for amendment. It removes the, the veil. It plants the flag of truth within the fortress of the rebel soul.
You see, God didn't want to break Paul or me or you of our self-reliance just for the sake of doing that. He wanted to bring what into Paul's life? Hope. That's the perspective that looking back with a look up is intended to give hope. Now, you might think, why would God want me to go back and reflect on these very painful experiences in my life? And I would say for the same reason he wanted Paul to. Because he wants to give you perspective on his purposes in those. And out of that to give you a platform for your unique purpose. In verses 1 to 3, if you go back to those, and give me the next slide, please. If you notice how the passage begins, which is the hallmark of the whole book. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our trouble so that we might comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. He knew from his own experience that God was a God of all comfort. It wasn't a theoretical thing to him. It was a very personal and real thing to him. He also understood that that comfort that with which God had given him comfort gave him the ability then to turn around and not just encourage people that were afflicted and suffered just like him, but he says, so that we might comfort those who are in any trouble. Certainly, people that have lost or miscarried a baby can help those that have miscarried a baby more deeply than somebody else can, but that's not the limiting that's not the way Paul wants us to look at the comfort of God. When we are comforted by God in our past troubles that provide us with a perspective of what God is trying to do in our lives, that platform is to be offered to everybody as this father of mercy and God of all comfort. And it's only when we integrate our troubles into the gospel that our lives become a gospel story. It's when we look back, see those struggles, and then integrate the gospel, those struggles into the gospels, that we become a living parable. Larry Crabb says it this way. Good Bible study and careful theology enable us to recite God's truth to others accurately. Insightful reflection upon the implications of these truths to real-life questions make it possible to present truth with relevance. But only living the truth with growing consistency equips us to communicate that truth with power. When we form a picture of truth, it adds dimensions to its mere statement. When you look back and gain perspective your life becomes a story of the gospel. And it adds dimension to that story. But the reality is, most of us have never done the hard work 
of getting that perspective. And I'm here to tell you, it takes hard work. In 1993, Beth and I moved up to East Tennessee, uh, moved up out of Knoxville to a town about 30 miles away to plant a church. We never felt more called to do anything in our whole lives. But when we went, when, as soon as we moved up there, within six months, all hell broke out. Financially, we were struggling. This brand new church, we were really, really in a bad place. I remember days, one day, one day in particular, I just laid on the floor for three hours. What am I going to do? In the midst of that time, the Lord took me, not that day in particular, but in the midst of that, he took me to a passage in Hebrews. 4, 15 and 16. Remember again, I, have a, I, I came from this perspective that I don't have anywhere to go with my, my troubles. Remember that? That passage says, we don't, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. So that's a weird, it's a, the writer there has a double negative. So it's kind of, what he's saying is our high priest sympathizes with our weaknesses. Therefore, therefore, because of the fact that our high priest sympathizes with our weaknesses, let us draw near to the throne of grace with confidence that we might receive mercy. The first thing Every single one of us gets when we go to the throne of grace and our weakness and our pain, our struggle is mercy. The first, and I pictured that day so clearly to me that Jesus would, every time I would go to him, he would just, he would do exactly the opposite of what my dad would do. He would pull me close. And the first things he would say to me is, I'm sorry. This is really hard. And he cast down the lie that drives all of us in even deeper pain. And that, that is that we're alone. And out of that, you find the grace to help you in your time of need. Men and women, I can't tell you how many times I've shared that passage. And the person that I share it with begins to weep. Because they need the compassion of Jesus at that moment in time. And I was only able to offer that like Paul because I had been comforted with that same idea. So this is the value of going back and processing your past until it becomes a part of the gospel story. So God wants to give us perspective so that that might become our platform that we might live out this unique pr purpose. It's where we throw all of ourselves forward out of these experiences. This is the why of your unique purpose. So I just would ask you before we move on, what's your level of introspection? Do you know the experiences of your life? And do you, like Paul, know the beliefs and the feelings that are underneath those? That's what Paul modeled for us. 
Do you know those? How do you view those experiences? Are they curses? Are you bitter? Do you wrestle to embrace them as gifts from God? Or are you able, have you processed enough with him to the point that you see him as this good God, as, as, as giving good gifts just like the abilities, just as much as the abilities that Christine was talking about? These are gifts to us. Once you have those, see those feelings and beliefs, do you take them to God for healing? Do you look up in those? And then how has God used those experiences to make you a part of the gospel story? Now, I'm going to speak to the men for a moment because that's where most of my experience comes from. Guys, we're lousy at this. I ask men on a regular basis, what's on your heart today? And it's like I just spoke Chinese to them. They have no idea. And so guys, I'm going to particularly challenge you with the call to follow Paul's example here. Because the world needs living examples of the gospel story among men. Men who've done the hard work that we're talking about. And who can offer the life and comfort of the gospel from that perspective. Because Paul is modeling for us his vulnerability. He says, look man, I don't want to be, I don't want to be hiding. I'm going to tell you I'm struggling. Uh, tonight, before we started, um, Tammy and Christine know that I've been, uh, since I've come back from Thailand, I've really not been doing great. And uh, they said, let's pray. Uh, and when they prayed, I, I just broke down. Thailand weighed on me more deeply than I've really realized until the last couple of days. The prostitution and the, uh, of just that community, that country, and the, the, just the depravity of what all that looked like day by day, it was just really hard on my heart. And so if you notice, if you remember that passage, it says, on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us. Then many will give thanks to God on our behalf for the gracious favor granted to us in answer to the prayers of many. So I don't sit here tonight going, yeah, you know, man, I'm really glad I could stand up here and talk about this. I'm grateful that those two ladies prayed for me. I had a guy that I told this morning about how, about tonight, uh, and he prayed. My son prayed for me today because I tell people where I am. I don't want them to be uninformed about the struggles I'm suffering with in the province of Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay, so now, I want to give you an opportunity to begin this process. Turn your note page over. Turn, your, turn that page horizontally. And on the left hand, at the middle of the page, start and draw a horizontal line right across the middle of the page. On the far left, put the year that you were born. 
on the far right, put today. Everybody got that? Is that clear, Christine? Do it horizontally, it's easier. Go from left to right. Put the date, the year you were born. And now what I want you to do for the next few minutes is I want you to start to write out the significant events on your timeline. So you got five minutes, just start that. Take five minutes and start writing out what you see as the significant events in your life between your birth and today.
Okay, I want you, uh, if I could have your, just looking back up at me, you just began what has often been from my perspective, the most significant exercise in understanding your unique purpose that you'll ever do, but you're not done. What I want you to do is to continue to work on that timeline and fill out this significant events. And after, and remembering that what you remember, you remember because it had emotion attached to it. And so don't shortchange what God might want to use by something you remember because you think it seems insignificant. Even if you're standing up in front of a fourth grade class sharing about your uh, your story, you were narrating a, a play, is that what it was? A play. Without a slip. That's the most, okay. So keep working on that. And then when you think you've got your timeline, if you need more pages, that's fine. In prayer, look for what you see as significant themes what might be asked what might be things God is trying to build into your perspective as he's done repetitive things you might do that with a close friend or spouse show them your timeline say here's what I kind of see are the things that God has built into my life through that into my perspective and what do you think about that So you're looking for what are some of the enjoyable experiences, what are the enjoyable roles as well, and what are the places that you achieve something. That might be part of it as well. But you're looking for this, what is God building into your perspective? And for most of us, you're looking more at the pain. If you watch Paul as he writes through his life, you see his perspective did not diminish, it grew. To the point that in Galatians, he wrote that this purpose for which God had me to reach the Gentiles, God set me apart from my very womb. Womb. From my mother's womb. This wasn't just something God did when he met him on the road to Damascus. This wasn't something God did when he sent him to Jerusalem to study under Gamaliel and become this authority on the law and a Pharisee. This was something God had set him apart from, for from the very womb. And he gained that perspective by looking back and looking up. Now, I want to close with one final story. Not about me, but about a young boy named Shasta. Shasta is a character in one of the Chronicles of Narnia, the, the book called The Horse and His Boy. Shasta grew, grew up without his family, father, orphaned by, and raised by a very mean fisherman. And the story is about him finding his way from Tashban to Narnia. Near the end of the book, this is the way he writes. I, I do think, said Shasta, that I must be the most unfortunate boy that ever lived in the whole world. 
Everything goes right for everyone except me. Those Narnian lords and ladies got safe away from Toshban. I was left behind. Erebus and Bree and Wynne are all as snug as anything with that old hermit, of course. I was the one who was sent on. King Loon and his people must have got safely into the castle and shut the gates before Rabbit Ash arrived, but I was left out. And being very tired and having nothing inside him, he felt so sorry for himself that the tears rolled down his cheek. What put a stop to all that was a sudden fright. Shasta discovered that someone or somebody was walking beside him. It was pitch dark and he could see nothing. And the thing or person was going so quietly that he could hardly hear any footfalls. What he could hear was breathing. His invisible companion seemed to breathe on a long, very large scale. And Shasta got the impression that it was a very large creature. And he had come to notice that this breathing so gradually that he had really no idea how long it had been there. It was a horrible shock. And it darted into his mind that he'd heard long ago that there were giants in those northern countries. And he bit his lip in terror, but now that he had really had something to cry about, he stopped crying. The thing, unless it was a person, went on beside him so quietly that Shasta began to hope that he only imagined it. But just as he was becoming quite sure of it, there was suddenly came a deep, rich sigh out of that darkness beside him. That couldn't be imagination. Any, anyway, he had felt the hot breath and that sigh on his chilly left hand. If the horse had been any good or had known how to get away, how to get any good out, or if he had known any way how to get any good out of a horse, he would have, re he would have risked everything on a breakaway and a wild gallop, but he knew that he couldn't make that horse gallop. So he went on at a walking pace and the unseen companion walked and breathed beside him and at last he could bear it no longer. Who are you? He said, scarcely above a whisper. One who has waited long for you to speak, said the thing. Its voice was not loud, but very large and deep. Are you, are you a giant, asked Shasta. You might call me a giant, said the large voice, but I am not the creature you call giant. I can see, I can't see you at all, said Shasta after staring very hard. Then for an even more terrible idea that had come into his head, he said almost in a scream, you're, you're, you're not, not something dead, are you? Oh, please, please do go away. What harm have I ever done you? Oh, I am the unluckiest person in the whole world. Once more, he felt the warm breath of the thing in his hand and face. There, it said, that is not the breath of a ghost. Tell me your sorrows. Shasta was a little reassured by the breath, so he told how he had never known his real father or mother had, and had been brought up sternly by the fishermen. And then he told the story of his escape and how they had chased, they were chased by lions and forced to swim for their lives and of all the, their dangers in Tashban and about his night among the tombs and how the beasts howled at him out of the desert. And he told about the heat and the thirst of their desert journey and how they were almost at their goal when another lion chased them and wounded Erebus, and how it was very long it had been since he'd had anything to eat. I do not call you unfortunate, said the large voice. Don't you think it was bad luck to meet so many lions, said Shasta? There was only one lion, said the voice. What on earth do you mean? I've just told you there were at least two that, that first night, and there was only one, but he was swift afoot. How do you know, said Shasta? I was that lion. 
And as Shasta gaped with open mouth and said nothing, the voice continued, I was the lion who forced you to join Erebus. I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from while you were sleeping. I was the lion who gave the horses great strength a fear for the last mile so that they could reach the king loon in time. And I was the lion, you do not remember, who pushed the boat in which you lay, a child near death, so that it came to shore where a man sat, wakeful at midnight to receive you. Then it was you who wounded Erebus? It was I. But what for? Child, said the voice. I'm telling you your story not hers. I tell no one any story but his own. Who are you? said Shasta. Myself, said the voice, very, very deep and low so that the earth shook. And again, myself, loud and clear and gay. And then the third time, myself, whispered so softly that he could hardly hear it, and yet it seemed to come from all around you as if the leaves rustled with it. And Shasta was no longer afraid that the voice belonged to something that would eat him, nor that it was the voice of a ghost, but a new and different sort of trembling came over him, and he felt glad. I tell you that story because that's the heart of Jesus wanting to tell you your story. To give you that perspective so that you might have a platform. So that your story becomes a gospel story. Now, everybody take a breath. We're going to conclude tonight. We're going to talk about and take this sheet of paper out. We've talked about these five ideas. And the tendency from, again, experience with this is to look at these individually. So if you were to right now write down what you've, what you've discovered about those five, would you please do that? What do you think your spiritual gifts are? What do you think your passion? Anything you've discovered, very quickly write that down. Under Beside the S, the H, the A, the P, and the E. Again, if you know what your spiritual gift is, write that. If you know something about your passion, write that beside the H. If you've seen some of those abilities that Christine talked about that, write those there. If you've seen, if you know your personality, write that there. And then if you've seen even a theme tonight on experiences, write that there. Just have something by each of the five if you can. Now, what's the point? 
The point is we don't look at these five individually. We want to start to look at them as a shape. They are integrated together into your design. So you want to start to look at them, how they relate to each other. They're not in five individual points. They are five concepts that go together to make your design. So be thinking about that as you move forward. Now, Christine, why don't you come up and talk a little bit about how that might get expressed. So, the reason... Hold on. The reason that we created this sheet for you is so that you can leave with an idea of something tangible. That this does not just remain as ideas in your mind and in your life. So you've noted something in that, sh in that cylinder for S-H-A-P-E. Now, take a moment and record what idea has the Lord brought to your mind over the course of this class about where you might serve based on some of the things you've learned about yourself. Doesn't have to be long. You can just say, I want to work with women. I want to teach children. I want to use my skills and abilities to help around the church building. It can be any variety of things that you feel like your particular design might lead you to. Yeah, and it's not limited to serving here in New City. No, absolutely not. We want to be thinking it might be, I want to help the homeless in Charlotte. It might be a neighbor that you have exactly. that you feel led to do something specific for. This is not just church service. And at the same time that you're writing down that idea for serving, write down the location. Where is it? Is it in your neighborhood? Is it in your workplace? Is it at New City? Or is it off campus in the community somewhere? And then put a little feet to this by indicating when you want to begin doing this. So it's not just out there in the future somewhere, but you actually have a thought in your mind that in September, I want to do this, or I'm going to pursue this in the month of August, or whatever seems appropriate to you as you think about that area of service. And then you may know that it would have a completion date. You may not know that. It may be an ongoing thing, and that's fine too. And then finally at the bottom of this sheet, um, depending on what you're thinking and what God might be leading you to, you might need a contact person to get in touch with. If it's someone at New City, Bob or I or Tammy would be happy to try to point you to the right person. Um, it might be a contact person somewhere else in the community, in another organization. 
and then we gave you a little space right down there to write down some questions you may have about how am I going to do this or what would be the regularity or what should I call it? Or where should I start? There you go. Another good question. Your contact person could also be, in addition to the person overseeing an area of service, it could also be, is there somebody I need to go talk to just to have them help me answer some questions about where do I start? That's a great example. Okay, so with that in mind, Tammy's going to come up. But be, as she's making her way, I just want to close with one other thought for you. The process and the journey that you have been on with us for the last four weeks um, is not one that is complete tonight. This is a journey that extends for weeks, months, years in each of our lives. And so I want to impress on you, we have tried to give you handouts in addition to the book that would enable you to think through some of the things that you need to know about yourself, about your experiences, your ability, your gifts. I would encourage you not to take this home and put it on a shelf, but instead to make time to go back to these things and to sit quietly and think through and answer even more specifically maybe what's on this last page that we've just given you right here. So that you're not just saying, well, that was a nice experience. I do know a little bit more about myself now, but I'm just going to go back to my life as it was before. The idea would be that you do not go back to life as it was before. And Tammy has a little more information for you. Yep. I won't take much time. But I will have to raise this microphone a bit, my dear. Okay. Well, I want to just start by thanking you all for joining this class. Thank you so much for being here. It really means a lot, and we're really um, excited to continue journeying with you. And I couldn't end this evening without thanking God that Bob and Christine used their gifts to teach us. These are two of the most gifted teachers that we have here at New City, and we're really grateful for you guys. Um, I'll try to be really quick about this. I do want to say in my journey uh, to finding where God wanted me to give my life, I think two things were, were kind of stand out to me. The, one, the first thing is when I admitted I wasn't good at some things I wish I was good at. And I didn't know that I was not good at singing until uh, because my mother, my grandmother, and my aunt loved to hear me sing, and they just poured on the compliments. And it wasn't until middle school at, with a karaoke opportunity that I got really embarrassed and realized that was not something I was good at. So admitting that I wasn't good at things that I wished I was good at. And the second thing was admitting things I didn't like to do. Even taking a spiritual gifts test, I would want to score myself good on the things I knew I should want to be, to do. But the truth is I knew that I didn't really like to do those things. So really just getting honest with myself really helped me in my journey. 
Um, but next steps for you guys, I do just as a staff member here at the church, just, just want to remind you that you are needed in this body. And, and we talked about that in, in a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, it takes every one of us to create the loving, caring body where we see people growing and then going out into our world and helping people find and follow Jesus. And there are ways that you do that that are organic. For example, um, I know there was a group of women recently that looked around our worship center here at South Park, and they, they said to themselves, there's a lot of new people here. Why don't we have um, a lunch at one of our homes and invite some of these ladies over and get to know them? Some of those women are in this room, by the way. And to me, that was such a beautiful, organic um, example of how the body of Christ looked around and used their gifts to build up the body. So sometimes it's something that the Lord's asking you to lean into organically, just as a member of this body. And sometimes it's in a role, it's in a volunteer um, role. And so I do want to read a little, um, a grouping here of some statements and see which of these statements um, maybe stir you the most. Okay, what if here at New City we didn't have ministry to children? Would that upset anyone in here? Or maybe we weren't training and passing our faith on to the next generation. Um, what if there were parents who couldn't really listen to the sermon and grow because they have little ones and there's no, we, don't, we don't have a nursery? What if the, our youth left our church and went to college without really understanding the gospel and having a solid foundation in their faith? What if when people were sick or suffering, there wasn't anyone that stepped up to help them? What if someone came to our camp, one of our campuses and left saying, no one spoke to me? What if on Sunday the slides had misspelled words? Or they weren't forwarding in a timely manner. That's a big one. What if we had no worship team? What if no one was being prayed for? What if New City wasn't a place that people were being encouraged? What if we didn't have any group leaders um, providing a place of belonging and a place where you can do life together and grow? What if our groups had... Um, bad theology being presented in those groups and no one was there using their gift of, of discernment um, to make sure that, that the truth was being taught properly. What if there are children in our city who don't have opportunities to become all that God has intended for them? What if we don't care about people in other parts of the world hearing about Jesus or having their needs met? What if our church never taught or talked about reaching the lost? So of those statements, I want to challenge you to think, I mean, really we would say we want to be at a church that has all of these things, right? But there might be some of these statements that bother you just a little bit more than other ones. And so I just want to encourage you to really think about that. Um, I don't have time tonight to go through each of the spiritual gifts, but I am, going, I am intending to create some kind of a handout because I have kind of listed out different serve teams, uh, different opportunities here in the church that fit with these spiritual gifts. 
Um, and just for, your, just for your information, we have the, the Next Gen Kids Serve Team. We have the Next Gen Youth. We have our host team. We have our safety team, production team, worship team, serve team. Lo that's local and global ministry. Our care teams. And we have constant need for people to come in during the week and help us administratively. And then finally, we have a new ministry that we're starting called New City Academy. And I'm going to be the director of that new ministry. Woohoo! So I'm really excited about that. And so they're going to be a whole nother grouping of, of needs and gifts that could, could fit into New City Academy. So if you want to talk further about any of those opportunities, I can connect you with those staff members. Um, really, all of these gifts can be found in so many of these different roles. Uh, and then the last thing I want to mention, thank you for your patience. The last thing I want to mention, um, by the way, my email is tmetters at newcity.us. I think you all probably have my email since I've been emailing you. Um, and if you want to go ahead and if you're, if you already know, Hey, I know that, I know that I could do this. I know I have the interest to do this. You can go to newcity.us serve and go ahead and start the joining one of those teams. Um, but another thing I want to let you know is that we are talking about the possibility of coaching. Uh, and what that would look like would be us kind of walking alongside you and helping you continue to discover more and more how God has designed you and where that might fit in. And so just a raise of hands, is there, would that be, if you would be interested in something like that, would you raise your hand just to give us an idea? Okay, awesome. So in the next, uh, the next uh, couple of weeks, we'll be getting some information to you guys about that. Um, and then also I have a goal to maybe put all of our slides and handouts together and email a final email to you. I've got that goal. Um, but again, thank you so much for being here. Do you want me to pray? Or we, okay, let me pray. God, we're grateful. We are so thankful. We are so grateful, Lord, and we're filled with joy just to have had this time together. Lord, I do just thank you for Bob and Christine. I thank you so much for the way that you have gifted them and the way that they've shared their gifts with us and the work that they put into this class. And Lord, I know that every one of us has gained and has grown through this class. Lord, I ask you to help us continue this journey just as, just as Christine challenged us not to take this home and put it on a shelf, but to continue listening to your voice, spending time with you and doing the work, Lord. And I pray that more and more and more we will hear your voice. Um, directing us into the work that you have for us, Lord. And I pray that you will use these men and women for your glory, doing your work, and that you will give them great fulfillment and great joy as they live into your design for them. We love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Take home some